This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Great honor and privilege to be associated with this church, both formally as um, apostolic voice to it, but also informally because your pastor and I, we, we really get on. We have one spirit. We share together in the common cause. And it's just a wonderful, deep, and sincere relationship. Um, I want to get straight into the word because I've got a lot that I want to say tonight. I'm just getting a little bit of kickback here on the monitors. If you could just kill them for me, thanks. Um, we're dealing with the subject of being sold out. And my little tagline is, you're either selling out or you're sold out. There's always something that we sold out to. Um, the Apostle Paul before salvation, before the Damascus Road, he was sold out to the destruction of the church. He was vehement in his attack and single-minded in his pursuit to bring this new thing called the way down. And um, then, of course, he has this Damascus Road encounter with Jesus, bright shining light, falls to the ground, an audible voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Who are you? And he reveals, I'm Jesus. Lord, what do you want me to do? From that moment when he says, Lord, it's from a believing heart. His life is radically changed from that very moment. Just as vehement as he had been opposed to the church, from that moment forward, his life is going to be dedicated to building the church, reaching the lost, discipling the found, and advancing the kingdom of God. Now, of course, God had a unique plan for Saul. Really earlier or later on, he would reveal that before the foundation of the earth, he had been set aside from his mother's womb. God had a unique plan for Saul. But I say that knowing that each one in this room, God has a unique plan for your life. God called you just as He called Saul. And you say, well, I never saw a bright light. I never heard an audible voice. I just received by faith. The way you receive does not determine the authenticity of your salvation. If you have an experience of such power, praise God. If you don't and you receive by faith, praise God. Because according to the word, blessed are they that don't see and believe. So in fact, you know, it, it is not to be, your salvation is not to be based around a sense encounter where you see, hear, or feel. Because the just shall live by faith. And so, if you have an encounter where you see the Lord, you hear the Lord, that is an awesome thing. However, your salvation without seeing Him, without hearing Him audibly, is no less real. So you are just as called. Everyone has an anointing upon their life. Everyone has a gift that God has given to them. 
and that is important to acknowledge that you are called. Because sometimes when you preach, a, or when I preach a message such as being sold out, you think, well, that is for missionaries, that is for apostles, that's for evangelists. But no, this is for the average believer. I'm not coming to a pastor's conference with this message. I'm not meeting a group of missionaries with this message. I'm meeting you right here in Olive Branch at your calling, at your faith, at your vision, at the work God is doing in you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. When you are unsaved, you lived for yourself. When you are born again, just like I read this morning, one died for all, therefore all have died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him. Before you were saved, you lived for yourself. The moment you are saved, there ought to be a, a total turnaround. If any man being Christ is a new creation, you have new values. You have new sense of priority. What you did, you no longer do. It's not because you are living under law. It's not because you're living with a fear of punishment. You're now living in the grace of God, and that grace inspires you. That love that has been shed abroad in your heart compels you to now refocus your energies just like you were totally committed to your own agenda. Now you are committed, Lord, what would you have me do? You are totally committed to God's agenda. That's not for preachers. That's not for those who are going to go to Bible school. That's for the least of us. And that's the problem is we've, we've come into a, a church era in these modern times where people feel like unless you called, you're just a, a church attendee. You're just a part of the Christian audience. You're not doing bad things. You're not doing evil things. But are you doing all the will of God? Are you passionately advancing the kingdom? This morning I did an exercise which was quite simple. How many of you have been less, saved less than five years? And there were about five hands that went up, which is an indictment to our lukewarm state. Now, maybe someone wouldn't say it that straight, but I will. Because that is a total conflict to the Word of God. The Word of God says that every one of us is called and commissioned to reach the lost. Every gospel, the final words of Jesus, the book of Acts, the final words of Jesus was to reach the lost. This church has a tagline, each one reach one. That's not just a tagline for this church. That should be the focus of every believer's life, that we are totally in step with what God is doing. You want to say, well, what's God doing? What God's doing is He's the patient farmer waiting for the harvest. It's not His will that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And then the question is posed, how will they hear without a preacher? You say, well, I'm not called to be a preacher. You're wrong. Uh, wrong answer. You are a preacher of the Word of God, the least of you, the youngest of you, the weakest of you. A woman is saved for, I estimated, 10 minutes for her to go from the well to the village 
persuaded in one discussion with Jesus that couldn't have lasted more than 10 minutes was sufficient for her in a 20-minute space of time from meeting Jesus to going back to the village, one encounter to persuade all to come to Jesus. She hadn't been through basic foundation training, 101, 201, 301. She didn't even fully grasp the impact of that encounter. She hadn't processed it all, but her heart was persuaded. And I'm thinking, if that woman could do that after 10 minutes with Jesus and a 10-minute walk to the village, surely we who have been saved 15, 20 years, we would have reached the lost. Last week, I gave an appeal for the renewing of the responsibility of the harvest. One lady came and she said to me she'd been saved for 25 years, grew up in a pastoral home. She has never led a soul to the Lord. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this picture? You mean that you've never heard the Great Commission? You've never taken time to meditate upon the call of God to your ministry? You say, well, what is my ministry? Your first ministry is to be a worshiper of God. Your second ministry is to be a carrier of the gospel. How will they hear without a preacher? You to be committed to the carrying of the gospel. Your third ministry is to exercise service to the church, to the body of Christ, through doing what needs to be done and also through the unique gift and callings that God has placed upon your life. That's your ministry. That's everyone's ministry. And so people have been saved for years and never studied the Word, never meditated in the, in the gospel message, and um, have never reached the lost. And I'm thinking, that's why the church is not being added to daily, because we're not doing the work of ministry. We want Jesus to say, well done, but we're not doing the done stuff. And so we see it's, it's sold out believers that will reach the lost, that will carry the gospel flame that will be a preacher of God's truth. It is sold-out believers that will take time to intercede, to pray, to seek God at night or early in the morning for something bigger than their prayer needs for their own life and family, who will stand for the harvest, who will pray for the leaders, that will pray for the missionaries, that will pray for the government. I want to declare to you that I think the church is prayerless. Because if we were men and women filled with the power of God praying, we would be seeing power, miracles, demonstrations of God. Things would be happening. The fact that we're not seeing a lot happen is again an indictment to our lukewarm state. Sold out Christians will be the carriers of the gospel torch. Sold out Christians will be the intercessors that when the word says, that God sought for a man to stand in the gap, he would find our lives willing to stand in the gap for our nation, for the church, and for the kingdom of God. It is sold-out believers that will be discipling, bringing people into the, the, the foundations of God's Word. We'll not only be reaching the lost, but we'll be discipling the found. I don't know if you 
remember when Amway was quite a big thing, and uh, Mary Kay was a big thing, and other multi-marketing uh, uh, companies. I'm not against those things, I, you know, business is business. But one thing I've noticed about people that get into multi-marketing businesses is they're very passionate about what they're doing. They will gather around their coach. They will be taught and trained. They'll have goals. They'll have objectives. And while people are going after that personal financial growth and goal, they'll be so sold out to that program. They'll work it. They'll be on the phone getting people engaged, enrolled. And when you analyze that, it's because they've got vision, they've got a goal in mind, they're passionate about it, they're willing to pay the price. I've seen Amway people, and this was one of the problems that I had with people joining Amway. I have seen Amway people stay away from church to have their meetings. And then when you speak to them about it, no, my goal is to prosper the church. I want to take the finances and prosper the church. Well, God doesn't just want our finances, honey. It says not forsaking the assembly, but what you are most passionate about, that's the thing you'll go after. In other words, they were more committed to the business than they were to the business of eternity. And as pastor said, money is going to be burnt up. You can't take it with you as important as it is. To advance the kingdom, you need money. But what happens is when you fall in love with something else, someone else, and you have vision for that thing, your love for God becomes secondary. And I've seen people enter into these multi-level marketing things, and they become more in love with that than with the Lord. And the same happens in business, sport, interests, hobbies. Marriage, home, children. And you say, well, of course those things are God. Of course they're God. But your love for God must be greater than all other loves. And so when you are passionate about the things of God, you'll gladly meet to become trained. You will have your list of people you're going to call, like you were meditating on the ones you want to reach those who have been disconnected from the church to reconnect, and those that have never received Jesus, you'll be praying over that list. You'll be looking at who can I reach. I mean, this is boiling it down to be very basic, but that's how it works. When you are committed to something, you have a plan and you work the plan. And as a result, those people see their goals being reached. If they weren't reaching the goals... They would make a change. They will find another business. The problem with the church is we just slip into apathy, indifference, and the world goes to hell around us, and we're just so busy in our own little world. But it's all symptomatic that we're not sold out. It's sold out people that will disciple, that will train, that will reach, that will bring people to the house of God. These are the ones that will study the Word. These are the ones that will pray. They will take time. Uh, you know, today we have social media that's such a 
huge thing in our lives. And I, I think it's a good thing, communication is a basis of life. But there are people that will spend more time in Facebook than in God's book. They'll spend more time talking to people than they would to God. I travel frequently, so I'm always in public. Airport, these days you'll seldom find someone not on the phone or texting, communicating. And I'm asking, that's great. I think communication is an important thing. But what about time with God? Think about how much time we spend. You can pull up your phone records calling the ones you love, texting the ones you love. Just pull up your phone records and do a calculation of how many minutes a day you speak with those that you love. And then sit down and analyze your prayer life and say, is God really your first love? Just by the time. Is this too honest and blatant for you? But we have to look at this. Because that's the evidence of being sold out. Sold out people love God. Sold out people have an immediately poor Saul immediately began to preach the gospel with boldness. There is a boldness and there is a message that sold out people have, and they run with it, even in the face of danger and hostility. It is sold out people that will not only do the word, speak the word, study the word, but they will become, as it were, the incarnation of God's word, living epistles read by men. They will live it out in front of society. It is sold out people that will be stirring up the gift of God. It is sold out people that will be engaged in good works, compassion in action, finding what needs to be done and making time to do it. They will go out their way. Sold out people will be the ones giving, tithing, praying, serving. Sold out Christians will be world changers or world shakers. World changers don't live shallow, indifferent lives. They sold out. Show me someone changing the world, whether it be politically or in arts, in communication, music. I will show you someone sold out to what they're doing. No one gets to be a world changer shaping their society without paying a price for it, going out of their way for it, being totally committed to it. doesn't matter what field it is in. If you're going to make a difference in your world, you will be sold out. You're either changing the world or the world is changing you. World changers don't live mediocre, shallow, indifferent lives. They are sold out people. They're not swimming in the shallow end, wetting their big toe. They are plunging into the best that God has for their life. World shakers are people who love God passionately. And uh, they are committed. They are lights in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. I should really publish on my flyer a warning Revivalist warning, evangelist warning, apostolic warning. How many of you remember when 
that lady went to McDonald's, had hot coffee spilt in her lap and made a couple of million bucks out of the deal. Well, who has ever driven up to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or wherever you get your coffee and said, um, I'd like a lukewarm cup of coffee. Give me uh, two sugars and a dash of cream. Anyone? Well, you, how do you expect to get coffee? Hot. But now you have warning labels, danger, hot coffee. You walk into a restaurant, there's a sign, warning, it's dangerous to eat raw meat. What do they put in a sushi restaurant? This is dangerous, but eat it anyway because that's how we make our money. Cigarettes have a warning label. You go into a, a, a washroom, it has a warning label. Staff must wash their hands. Everything has a warning label these days. You buy a pillow, it has a warning label. You buy a jacket, it has a sewn-in warning label. Have you noticed that? Everything has warning labels. I want to give you a warning label. This message on being sold out is really dangerous to the lukewarm Average, mediocre, weak-kneed, gutless, indifferent, shallow, uh, water, toe-wetting Christian. I can't tickle your ears and stroke your ego and make you feel good about yourself in the name of amazing grace. And I love amazing grace, how sweet the sound. However... There's also a time to be brutally honest with ourselves and do some evaluation. If your business is going down the tubes as a director or as a business manager, you take stock. You look at what on earth is going on and you make decisions to either get out of it or make changes to save it. Am I right? If your health is going down the tubes, what do you do? You go to a doctor, you find out what's wrong. Is it possible to get this thing fixed so that you can have a quality of life? Am I right? In business, we take stock. In our health, we take stock. In our finances, we take stock. We set a budget. We set a plan. Otherwise, we are just the product of our indifference. And stuff happens, and we eventually get in so deep that there is no way out of it. Well, church is my business, because I'm called by God. This is my business, church, people, ministry, pastors, training, missions. That's what I do. I've done it for over 40 years. I have no other business that I'm involved in. God's business is my business. I'm a doctor. That's what I do. I do a health checkup on the church. When I come in, I don't just superficially try to slip a band-aid over a cancer. I'm going to go for the thing at the very roots. Do you understand? Why? Because that's my business. It's not just a job that I can fudge the numbers and pretend. I stand before God and will give an account for my ministry, for my message, for my life, and what I've done with it. Your pastor will give an account for the state 
of the church that God has called him to. And those that serve around him will also be held accountable at their level of calling and anointing. We will one day have to stand before the judge and give an account for our lives, what we've done with our time, what we have said, what we haven't said. Now, the difference between us and sinners is we will give an account for reward. They will give an account for their sins because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from our sin. But because we don't have to give an account uh, for our sins doesn't mean we have the right to treat God's business and make it common. It's a holy business. Go read the book of Malachi. The priests were profaning his name. He called them out. You understand? Today, the church needs to be called out on something. Priests are profaning his name. They're not taking his business seriously, and they're half-hearted about it, and it's time for some change. Isn't that what a revivalist does? Addresses the things that need change, because we can't do business as usual and have miracles, healings, breakthroughs, and we stay shallow in our commitment levels. Surely, if we want the full manifestations of God's power, something's got to change in the church. And guess what? That's us. God's not going to change. He's got nothing to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. So if there's going to be change, it's going to be from our side. And if you don't believe that, go read the book of Revelation. Jesus, the head of the church, addresses the church. And he says, these things need to be put right. He calls them out. I listen to some of the grace preachers, and I wonder if they ever read past John 3, 16 and 17, if they ever go read the book of Revelation. When he says, I'll remove your lampstand. Well, that's pretty serious words from a God of grace. I wonder what they do with Ananias and Sapphira. Do they just pretend that's not in the Bible? What do they do with those things where Paul calls Peter out for his hypocrisy? And it's written there forever. We don't want to address hypocrisy because it's all under the blood of Jesus. No, even though it's under the blood of Jesus, certain things have to be called out. The church is prayerless. It needs to be called out. Our priorities are not in line with the will and word of God. Everyone wants Jesus to say, well done, but we're not doing it well. We're not doing it faithfully. Be brutally honest. Is the church the modern day church? No, forget about the modern day church. Are the people of this church faithful? I would say there are some but there are many that are not. Well, what do you do with well done, good and faithful? How does Jesus say to someone who is unfaithful, well done, good and unfaithful servant? What does he do with that? He calls it out as it is. He's not going to give you a well done if you haven't done it well. He's not going to give you faithful if you've not been faithful. Go read the parable of the talents and of the miners. You had to do it to get it. If you didn't do it, ah! 
How do we get around with there was a wailing and a gnashing of teeth? I know it's in a parable, but there are some things that are very clear embedded within that parable. There's certain biblical code embedded that stand as a warning. We want warning labels in the washrooms, on the wet floors, on nicotine, and restaurants, on everything, even a cup of coffee. But what about the warning label for the things of God? Go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we read from verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and um, as well as Peter. He is the one quoting the prophet Joel. He says, and it shall come to pass, or as you would say, pass, shall come to pass, it almost sounds more biblical when I say pass, in the last days, not last days, notice that it says last, can you see that? <laughs> it shall come to pass in the last days. Now it's weird, the South African accent, Petra, is funny because we say can't, but we say can. We don't say you can't. We say you can't, but we say you can. <laughs> Just one of those little things that I notice. I'm deep that way. I think about these things. Back to, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. Notice, it wasn't just Joel saying, it wasn't just Peter echoing what Joel said, it's God saying. How many of you know when God says something, it's pretty important? He says, I will pour out my spirit, and I want to pause there. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Just like the feast of Pentecost or the feast of first fruits, the original feast was a recognition of when the law was given. There was also a time of harvest. On that day when Moses came, 3,000 men died. On this day, 3,000 men were saved. It was not giving the Lord, it was the giving of grace. However, there was also the giving with grace, responsibility. For what? For world harvest. This day was uniquely picked. There is not going to be another Pentecost. Give us another Pentecost is not going to happen. There is one Pentecost. It was given, there are many infillings, but there is one Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And we are the recipients of what has been poured out. So there is an outpouring, but there is an infilling. With the initial infilling, there is an empowering of our lives. And the evidence of that, there is an outflowing. Out of your innermost beings will flow rivers, and there is an outflowing of what? Power, the gospel, the gifts of the Spirit speaking in other tongues. There are many evidences of the outflowing, which is the product of the inrushing of the Spirit of God. And so, He has been poured out. Now, you can be filled with the Spirit 
but need to be, as it were, topped up with the Spirit. So even though there is one outpouring, there are many infillings. In Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, they were filled with the Spirit. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So in your being filled with the Spirit, stay being filled with the Spirit. But there is one outpouring of the Spirit. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit. This has taken place. We will never live under a closed heaven. There will never be a time when the Holy Spirit is not accessible and available to men. Until Jesus comes, we are living in the age of grace, in the church age, where the Holy Spirit is given and available. There's a door open, there is a window open when people say you need to have a, a, a get to a certain place to have an open heaven, they lie. We live in a constant open heaven. There is not a geographical location for an open heaven. The open heaven is an open heart. A seeking heart is an open heaven. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, not all flesh received it on the day of Pentecost. And up to now, not all flesh has been the recipient of the outpouring of the spirit. But he says, I'm making myself available to all flesh. But for all flesh to get the outpouring of the spirit, they've got to be carriers of that spirit. And there has to be an outflowing of that spirit to get to them. And that's why Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until you be clothed with power, because then you're going to carry the gospel. Wherever you go with the gospel, people are going to be touched and filled with the Spirit of God. He goes on to say, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Like I mentioned this morning, for our sons and our daughters to prophesy, both biological as well as spiritual sons, they have to be parents who prophesy. To prophesy, I've never found a person who's not sold out, committed, teachable, trainable, following the things of God, con carrying consistently the prophetic word of God. Committed people are the ones that stir up the gift of God, who seek to be a blessing to the church, to carry the prophetic word of God. He says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Why? As a result of you being filled with God, you are going to be contagious with the power of God, and you are going to infect all those around you, starting with your families. They will be the recipients of what you've got. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. The, the Spirit-empowered life is a life of vision. It's a life of passion. It's a life with message. And on my men's servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Servant-hearted people will be the recipients of the outpouring of the spirit, and they shall prophesy. How do we prophesy? When we preach the gospel, when we teach the word, when we pray, we are actually prophesying the word of God into the atmosphere. The prophecy is not just, yea, yea, thus saith the Lord. Everything we do is with prophetic intentionality. We are pressing and advancing the Word of God into the spirit realm and into people's lives. The gospel is the Word, the, is the prophetic Word, because the gospel is Jesus. He is, he is the fulfillment of all prophecy. So when we speak Jesus, we speak prophecy, or we speak prophetically. 
And so everything is about Him. Our message is Him. And every prayer is to Him and for Him. And so everything that we're doing is changing the atmosphere. So we are prophesying into That's what prophecy does. It creates an environment for change. And then he goes on to talk about some things that are yet to take place. I will show wonders in the heavens and signs in the earth beneath Blood, fire, vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So it has been fulfilled and it has partially been fulfilled and it is yet to be fulfilled. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is a critical part of this verse, of this portion of Scripture, because ultimately these spirit-filled lives are going to be the ones who are going to bring in the harvest. All this giftedness was not so that we can appear to be super spiritual and highly anointed, but it was so that whosoever would call. How will they call without a preacher? How will they call without a sold-out preacher? Because casual people aren't going to carry the gospel. The sold-out ones will carry the gospel. I've mentioned this year two or three times, and most of you should know the answer by now because you're all very good listeners. But Shemua, you know him, Safat, Igal, Pali, Gadil, Amil, Setha, Nabi, and Giul, who are they? They're the ten spies that came back with the evil report. Everyone knows them by now, I'm sure. You've memorized those names. Well, at least you've memorized what? Joshua and Caleb. How would you like to be in that lineup, your name ever in numbers as a reminder of coming back with an evil report? It'd be a terrible thing, isn't it? How many of you would prefer to be Caleb and Joshua? Yeah. Um, well, these spies, they weren't evil people. They had actually been proven faithful. They had done a good work up to that point. And this is, this is where I want to go. These weren't sent out as, as spies. They were sent out as leaders of the tribes. They were faithful men. They were diligent men up to that point. But there comes a shift in people's lives based on circumstances and environment. And when they went into that land... Instead of seeing the opportunity and hearing the voice of God, they saw the circumstances, the adversaries, they saw the, the fortified cities, they saw the giants, they made themselves small, they disbelieved the word of God, they believed their own word to be more important, and they said, we cannot do it rather than we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And they came back with the evil report, which cost every adult other than Joshua and Caleb their lives. Every one of them died on the wrong side of the river. Don't tell me that people who are not the senior leaders don't have influence. Leadership has influence, negatively or positively, and these people chose to lead negatively. They, in fact, were so inspiring that they turned all the adults, and had it not been for the descending glory of God, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb would have been killed that day. God saved them. I said God saved them. 
These were people that had seen the waters part. They walked on dry land. Do you understand? These were people that ate the manna. They drank from the rock. They saw the brazen serpent lifted up. They saw the power of God deliver, keep, sustain, feed, heal. They weren't unaware of the supernatural power of God. They had been from Egypt. They watched the plagues. They saw God's deliverance. They were the ones who came out as a result of the Passover, blessed with finance, silver, gold, and clothing given to them, prospered, not one feeble among them. These are them. Which tells me that there is the possibility of faithful people, good people, getting to a point where somewhere they lay down the call of God. They sell out instead of being sold out. And these men were sellouts. Instead of being sold out to the call of God, they gave up. And when they gave up, they lost their inheritance and their potential was squandered. They missed God's best and they died without fulfilling their destiny. Joshua and Caleb were different, and I want to show you why. In Numbers 32, 11 and 12, and I'm going to quote from the Amplified. Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from the 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abram, Isaac, and to Jacob. In other words, every adult was going to die on the wrong side of the river. Because they have not wholly Followed me. Notice the word holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. I mentioned it this morning. Holy living is holy living. H-O-L-Y living is W-H-O-L-L-Y living. They did not wholly follow the Lord their God, except Caleb and Joshua, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Notice it separates. They have not wholly followed. They have wholly followed. Right now in the church, there are those that wholly follow, and there are those who wholly not follow. Because Paul writes and he says, these things are written for, uh, to us concerning these people as examples. Again, this is a portion of Scripture that the grace people don't want to go into. And I'm a grace people. But I examine the whole counsel of God's Word, not just what appeals to my soul. And so I see there are two groups here. There are those that are sold out. And then there are those that are not sold out. And there's a consequence to not being sold out. What's the consequence? You don't reach your potential. You don't possess your possessions. You don't get to what God's got for you. You fall short of what He's got. 
whether New Testament or Old Testament, the principle remains the same. They wholly followed the Lord their God. Have a look at Joshua chapter 14 and verses 7 to 10. I was 40 years old. He says, when Moses, servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout out the land, and I brought him a report as it was in my heart. And yes, we got to notice something. He brought a report that was in his heart, not what was in his head or in the circumstances. He was living out of a revelation versus circumstances. But my brethren, a.k.a. the ten, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. What's the difference between my brethren and Joshua and Caleb is they did not wholly follow the Lord. They wholly followed the Lord. And Moses swore on that day, surely the land on which your feet have walked shall be an inheritance to you and your children always because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Quite obvious where Moses, where, where Caleb went in his scouting out the land. Because he went and got his inheritance. He said, I want that mountain. He didn't just take the mountain with the giants because he had a warrior spirit. He had walked there and the Lord said, you can have where you walked. And he wanted that place where he walked. He went and got the fruit of it. Even in spite of the walls, the enemies, the giants, he didn't care because he knew God was greater inside of him and would give him the victory because God said, you will Be the partakers of the promised land. And no man shall stand before you all the days of your life. And he believed what God said to Moses was going to be his portion. They were going to be the victorious ones. They were going to possess the land. And so he believed the word of God. And he lived according to that. He was wholly devoted to the Lord his God. And that's what sold out means. Sold out means to be wholly devoted to the Lord God Almighty. And as a result, they prospered in God. The sold-out life is the prospered life. They got what God had for them. They reached their potential. They lived their lives to the full. In Daniel chapter 3, Verses 12 to 30, we read about three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They too were sold out to God. How do I know they were sold out? Because they were willing to face the fire and even death, if that was going to be included in that, they were willing to face it rather than bow to what everyone was bowing to. I believe there are going to be a people who refuse to bow to the gods of this generation. They will refuse to bow when the music is played and pay homage to what everyone now calls acceptable, good, and normal. There are people who are going to refuse to bow. And you'll notice that 
Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they were cast into the fire, but Jesus met them in the fire. They came out the fire without even the stench of smoke, without their hair being singed, their garments being singed, and they were prospered to the point that the king said, whoever, def- whoever speaks a word against these, I will destroy their home and their family, and they will be remembered no more. They were prospered because their God was the only true and living God. And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they were sold out to God. Sold out people will prosper in God. They will do the will of God, and they will not be pressured into compromise according to their generation. The best way that I can define sold out is to say 100% of your life belongs to God. Anything less than 100% is unacceptable. Can you imagine trying to be a champion sports person giving less than your best? Who is the, I don't know who the famous sports people today, who's the guy that got all the gold medals and swimming? Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, could you imagine him going to his coaches and saying, I, I just don't feel it today. I'm not going to give my best. You, you understand, in order for Hussein Bolt, even as he's growing old, to get the gold, he had to excel in training, in discipline, in diet, in everything Because when you want to succeed in something, you can't go at it half-heartedly. Now, you could be a basketball player on the street corner with a couple of your friends. But if you want to play for the NBA, how many of you know you've got to have skills, you've got to have ability, you've got to have training, you've got to be sold out to that thing? Well, the same applies at every area of life. If you want to succeed in something, you've got to do it with your whole heart. And isn't that what the Word says, that the greatest and the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with your, with your whole heart, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. You're to have no other God beside Him. In other words, He's got to be in terms of our second language that is now taking over this country, he's got to be numero uno. He's got to be number one. He's, he, he's never going to be number two. He's a jealous God. Just in case you forgot, he will not be number two in your life. In the old days, we used to say, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. The first and the greatest commandment is a commandment of loving God with all. And that's the problem. It's not a lack of commitment. It's not a lack of vision. It's not even the pressures of life, the busyness of life. What it is, 
is you love someone or something more than God. That's the bottom line. Because who you love, you will obey. You'll be loyal to. You can't suddenly say, I'll love the Lord with some of my heart, some of my mind, and some of my strength. He doesn't take some. He doesn't accommodate that in his currency. He is a all or nothing God. The currency of exchange is all or nothing. When the rich young ruler wanted to give some, he didn't accept it. You understand? He said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. You can't have yourself. One died for all, therefore all who die. That we who live should no longer live for ourselves. You're either living for yourself or you're living for him. The problem is somewhere in our doctrine we've said you can have Jesus as your Savior, but he doesn't have to be the Lord of your life. That is wrong breaking down of Scripture. We may not get up and say, now listen, you can work a deal with God, take Him as your Savior, avoid hell, then you're going to find later on you can make Him Lord. Now, I do believe that Lordship is both progressive, because as you come into areas, you realize, whoa, He's not in charge of that, and you'll give it to Him, but you're not coming in saying, well, I'm going to keep this for myself, and I'll make Him Lord later. The confession that saves you is what? Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Notice it's not confession that he is Savior or he is healer or he is provider that saves you. It is he is Lord. Well, what is Lord? Supreme authority. And that's what enraged the Roman Empire because Rome had no capacity for emperor not being Lord. You can't have two lords as far as they were concerned. You can't have Jesus as your Lord and the emperor as your Lord. You either choose one or the other. If you choose Jesus, you die because we'll not tolerate that kind of democracy in our kingdom. This, this is not freedom. You come in here, but it's got to be Caesar is Lord. The emperor is Lord. There's no capacity for shared power. Even though Jesus made it clear that his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom, they weren't going to take the risk of a spiritual kingdom joining with their kingdom. But somewhere in the modern church, we've got this perception that we can make Jesus partial Lord. You know that you can actually today you can rent dogs. You don't have to own them anymore. If you know you want to go walk a dog, you can rent a dog. Rent. South African for rent. You don't have to own it. You don't have to, in other words, you don't have to take responsibility for it. You can just have it short term. Well, people have a lot of short-term things these days. They even have Jesus short-term when it suits them. When it doesn't suit them, He's not Lord. They are Lord. They are masters of their own destiny. They are the ones who are going to make it happen themselves. They don't realize that without Him we can do nothing. That He is 
not only our Savior, Lord, King, Healer, Provider, but He is our all in all. He is Alpha and Omega. In other words, beginning and end and everything between those two points. They want Him to be Alpha, but they don't want Him to be Omega. They want Him to be partial. In Revelation chapter 2, in verses 4 and 5, and it's well known, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. How many of you know it's quite a bad thing when God has something against you? If God be for you, who can be against you? But if God be against you, it doesn't matter who's for you. And yeah, he says, I have this against you. It's not a good thing to have God against you. We could have North Korea against us. It doesn't intimidate us. We could have Russia against us. It doesn't intimidate us. But if we got God against us, it doesn't matter what we have in our armament, it doesn't help. You understand? God is the Almighty. He says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And as a result, you have fallen. You need to get back. You need to repent to go back to what? First love. And then you will have what? You will do first works. You can't do first works without first love. If you try to do first works without first love, it will be haphazard and inconsistent. And Garen is my exercise. People come forward all the time and they rededicate. We're going to become prayerful. I teach on prayer. How many of you have been neglecting your prayer life? Let's stand. Let's pray. How many of you have been neglecting witness? You're not living for the gospel. Oh, I want to live for the gospel. They come forward. You will not do the works of prayer, giving, sharing, going, sacrificing, you may do it one day here and there, but you can't do something consistently without what? The love. The love is what compels us. The love of Christ compels us. And we judge thus that one died for all, therefore all have died, that we who live should no longer live for ourselves. It's love that gets us to live for Him. Not law, punishment, reward, love. You can't be sold out without love for God. It's impossible. And therein lies the issue is because people have left their first love. What does it mean to leave your first love? It means to place something or someone to be higher than first, which could be a legitimate God-given thing, your marriage, your home, your family, your career. You understand? God blesses. God blesses the body. God blesses the family. God, you, you understand? God gives you those things, but when they become more important than God, those things actually become an idol. You say, well, that's weird. 
Well, Jesus put it this way. He says, hate your mother and your father. Well, it's not really that you hate them, but he uses a law which is, I'm going to shock you. In comparison to your mother and your father, the love for God is so powerful that every other love looks like hatred. It's not that go hate your mother and your father. You understand? Go and abuse them. No, he's saying in comparison to loving God, every other love so pales. And so we have situations like, well, my kids need to play sport. So we chuck out church. Well, listen, those darlings will one day grow up and they're going to love soccer and they're going to love college and they're going to love boys and girls and maybe even alcohol and drugs more than God. And then you're going to be heartbroken because they weren't brought up in the fear of the Lord. They never had a platform that was rooted and grounded in the Word of God where they saw that God was a priority in your life and that they were brought up to understand that though you loved them, that they weren't the supreme command. And that's what happens. And eventually you'll love your career, your income more than God. And eventually you'll neglect church, you'll neglect church, you'll neglect church to the point that you no longer read the Word, you no longer pray. But you always reflect back to when you called upon the name of the Lord and you were saved. But isn't that what happened to the ten spies? They got so distracted from the Word of God, from the will of God, that they died on the wrong side of their destiny. Please don't misunderstand me. Am I saying that you go to hell or heaven? I don't know. I'm not the judge. But I do know this, that you can't make God second place. You can't live for yourself and accommodate God. That's the problem in the modern-day church. The modern-day church has somehow thought that God is good when we can fit Him in. And we're wondering why we don't see the miracles. Has it ever crossed your mind? Why don't we see the miracles like the book of Acts? We see some. Whoever thinks about those things. And we all do, don't we? We believe the word. I've said I would be in a wheelchair sucking oxygen and I would still preach divine healing because I'm so persuaded by what the word says. The word supersedes my body, my experience. I believe in divine healing. But the Bible says that the works that, that he did will do also. Doesn't it ever cross your mind, why don't we see the greater works that Jesus said? He's not a man that he should lie. Well, one day I took it to the Lord. I said, God, this is very frustrating. I've got to a point where I don't even want to pray for the sick anymore because I'm, I'm hope deferred makes this heart sick. I just... I'm expecting, I'm preaching faith, I believe, I'm, I don't doubt you said that if I believe in my heart, I'll have what I say. Well, I believe in my heart, and I'm not getting what I say. He said to me, Leon, you need to understand there's a principle involved here. The principle is this, that people say they're hungry for me, but they're not really. They're desperate for me, but they're not really. He says, 
they come to church, but they slot it in when they want to. He said, the word says, if they draw near to me, I'll draw near to them. The measure that they use, I'm using back to them. They're not coming, expecting, but then when they want their miracle, they come expecting. They want to accommodate me in the leftovers of their time and of their life, but they want to see the full manifestation of my glory. He said, there's got to be a change in the household of God. This is why I'm preaching like I'm preaching. Because I believe God wants to show up in power in these last days. Just like the prophet said, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit. There'll be signs, wonders, miracles. Things are going to take place. But for us to have it consistently, now we do see it. I can take you to blind that see, deaf that hear, lame that walk. We've seen it in Africa. We see it in India. We see, see it throughout the U.S. in Illinois and here and there, right here in Memphis. We've had many miracles in this church. Your pastor's pushed for it. He has faith for it. We've seen it. But we would see a greater intensity and a greater consistency if the people were faithful to God. Then the faithfulness of God would be revealed in that proportion. He shows up. He manifests His power because of our desire, because of our faith. But if we would become diligent, we would see far more. You know, the early church prayed every day. They fellowshiped every day. They ministered every day. Well, guess what happened? The Bible says at the hand of the apostles, great signs took place. And the Lord added to the church daily. But look at the level of commitment and then look at the level. When I got to America 23 years ago, the average church member, the average church member attended Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night prayer meeting, possibly a Thursday night study in a small group. Am I right? How many of you remember those days? Then Sunday night went, then Wednesday night went, then Thursday night went, prayer meeting went. Now we can barely get people to come one Sunday a month. The new statistic that's just come out, this is the measure of committed Christians, one Sunday a month. How do you equate that with not forsaking the assembling together? How do we even find a biblical precedent for such a low level of commitment and wonder why we don't see the power of God poured out? Unless I'm reading it wrong. But I measure Scripture against Scripture, and I see where there was a sold-out people, there seemed to be a whole lot of God revealed. And I'm looking at the modern-day church, and I'm seeing an accommodation of God. We put Him in where we can accommodate Him, and we see some of God, but we're not seeing what they saw. Oh, if only I was around in the early church. Well, the latter house should be greater than the former. So something's got to change. Guess what? We've got to stop selling out and become sold out. And that's why I'm preaching like I'm preaching. You can see that I'm passionate about this because I sense an urgency. This nation and the church of this nation desperately needs God. 
How will we turn this thing around? There's got to be a heart change. There's got to be a searching of our heart, of our motive, of our time, of our money, of our commitment levels. We've got to go to a new depth because what we're doing is not working. If you're in business and you are not making profit, you will go down the tubes. You know what that means, go down the tubes. You're going to, either the shareholders or the management are going to come in and they're going to make huge cuts and changes. Why? Because of the bottom line, the evidence, the fruit. Well, doesn't the Bible say that we'll be known by our fruit? The evidence of our faith is seen in the fruit. If we don't see the fruit, shouldn't we be somewhat concerned? How many of you are concerned when you look at the fruit? Doesn't it concern you, Pastor, when you look at the numbers and you think of where we've been and where we are? Knowing that you committed, sold out, you're praying, you're studying, you're doing it diligently, excellently, to the best of your ability, and something's got to change. Well, I'm saying, if it was me, I would be doing some radical ministry to bring the change. I would create the atmosphere through my message to produce that kind of a people. Because we're leaders, and leaders lead. We're either going to take what we're given, or we're going to make it happen through our passion, through our force, and placing a demand on their faith. I'm saying we got to step it up. we got to step it up. You, you don't get the breakthrough and get the results by doing it casually, haphazardly, or carnally. You get it because you're committed to the cause. People have left their first love. We're living in that kind of a day. Repent, he says. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Those are pretty strong words, if you know what that means. I'm going to remove you as one of the churches. You'll be no more. The witness, the light will not be in the community. You'll be snuffed out because this doesn't work by tradition. It's not some kind of a religious movement. This is a people who are passionate about the kingdom. Jesus, the head of the church, was saying, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me. Does he work for a loss of first love? No. Does he, lo does he accept that there is no first love? He goes to the lukewarm in Revelation chapter 3. He says, I know your works. Or let me rephrase that. The evidence speaks for itself. You are neither cold nor hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, somewhere in the middle, I will vomit you out my mouth. Well, that's kind of crude, but it's Jesus. He says, it's unpalatable for me. I can't digest the fact that you are lukewarm. I need you to be in the extremes I need you to be total, or to quote Leon, I need you to be sold out. 
I'm not taking away, I'm not, I'm just translating the way it is in the Leon's unpublished expanded transliteration to make it understandable in our modern era. How about this one? 2 Timothy chapter 14. For Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. Um, That's pretty serious stuff going down there. He was part of Paul's team, sold out, committed. Everyone that's been in this church in leadership at some stage has been sold out. It is possible that sold out people will sell out. Demas became a sellout. Why? Because he exchanged the call of God for what? This world. He what? Loves Huh? Loves. So you're either loving God or you're loving something or someone else more than God. If you love something or someone else, you're going to follow that thing. If you love God, you're going to do it God's way. And so he's talking about a love here. Sold out people love God. Sellouts love something or someone else. Let's stand and pray. Serious stuff, eh, Zach? But if we're going to get where we're going to get and go and do, there's got to be some heart change. Some serious adjustments have to be made. We're not going to do this scratch on the surface, superficial. We've got to get to the root of the matter. The root of the matter is the love. The love is not there. The love is not there. When the love is there, you sold out. If you love someone, you will sacrifice. You'll do anything. Uh, I mean, when you love someone, it doesn't matter the cost. You'll spend it to, to get the job done. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I told you the story when Matthew was paralyzed. I was sitting at the airport. Someone said, are you going on vacation? I said, no, my son is deathly ill. I'm flying over to London. She said, oh, it's so good that you can just take off work and fly there. I said to the lady, I got quite annoyed. I said, listen, if I didn't have the money to fly over there, I'd get on a surfboard and paddle across the Atlantic Ocean. I would get to my son no matter the cost. I said, I would pay the price to get to him if it meant I had to lose my job, lose my income, sell my house, when my son needs me, I'm going to go to him. Why? Because I love my son. When you love someone, you'll do what it takes. And that's my thing. When God requires of us, it's not a commitment that's needed. It's not loyalty that's needed. It's not faithfulness that le- that's needed. Those are all just the product of what? Love. If the love's not there, the faithfulness isn't there. The sacrifice isn't there. The generosity isn't there. The service isn't there. When you see people not volunteering, it's not because they're too busy. It's because they don't love enough. You can ask me to do something. I'm the busiest man I know on the face of the earth. I don't know anyone that works as hard as me concerning the kingdom. That sounds arrogant. Eh? 
But I know my schedule. I know what I do. I know what I accomplish beyond, beyond the, the, the scenes. And yet I get calls all the time. Can you do this? And guess what I say? I can. Why? Because the number one, the Bible says I can do all things. But if you want to get something done, give it to someone who's passionate about life, who's doing it. They'll find a way. I'm, I took on Columbia 100,000 souls. Did I have time? No. I took on the First Nations. Did I have time? No. Did I have money for it? No. But I found a way. Because when God spoke to my heart, I found a way. It's just the way it is. Uh, I'll guarantee you, you could put me to the test, Bob. You could phone me 2 o'clock in the morning and say, Leon, I need you here. I would, if there wasn't a flight, I would drive up. I would get to you immediately. You know that. Why? Because I love you. And because I love you, I'm committed to you. You understand, that's just the way I live. And I will find a time, I will find a place. Because that's what love does. Everyone is busy. Someone say, well, you in the ministry, you don't know. No, I have a to-do list that is like miles long. It takes total focus and discipline to work through that monster every day and get it down. Only to be stocked up the next day because I'm a visionary. And visionaries will always be doing something. There's never a moment I'm not doing something. Goals that need to be reached. Things that need to be done. But look at me. I'm, I'm 85 years old. I have the strength, I have the strength of a 20-year-old. I'm energized. Uh, you understand, you can look like me at 85 years old, brother. I've lived two lives. The first life I lived for the world, and the second life I lived for God. If you put those two ages together, it makes me 85. But I am, I'm energized. Because vision and passion gives you health, energy, strength, provision. I walk in it. This stuff works. If it works for me, it's going to work for you. You start to make some shifts in your thinking, in your speaking, in your acting, in your attitudes, in your motives, and watch God start to show up big time in your life. How many of you want that shift? How many of you are tired of being tired? Quickly to close. How many of you did God challenge concerning your heart of love tonight? If you feel like you just really need to reorientate your heart. Remember when you first believed how you loved them and how you found time? When I first believed, I found time for the Word. Thank God I still find time for the Word. Be at 3 o'clock in the morning, but I'm studying. I'm always pressing. I can't live on what I've learned. I've got to live for today. But you'll find time when you want to. There is accessibility to the Spirit of God for your life. Who wants to get your heart back in love with Jesus?
If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. I lay down.